The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. We have a special treat today. I have Daniel Bluegrind, who is the Senior Consumer Insights Manager at Roku. We are excited to have her here and talk to us about her journey in market research thus far. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you, Seema. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for taking the time. I know it's very busy, and so it's always appreciated when guests make the time to do this. Uh, This will be the most fun part of my day. Oh, good. I love to hear that. So, Danielle, give us a little bit of your background. You tell us your journey as to how you ended up in your current position. Happy to. I'm going to do it without telling you how many years I've been in research because (laughs) it makes me feel super old. But I can tell you this career in market research was very deliberate and planned on my part from the time I was in my MBA classes. I started talking to people about what I loved, and I had a background in consumer behavior, very similar to psychology, but a little different, more about actual versus, you know, lab testing kind of behavior. Yes. And I also loved math, and I love statistics. And people started saying, well, with what you love, you should look into market research. And of course, my answer was, what's that at first? But I did start looking into it. And I deliberately went into consumer research as soon as I left my MBA. And that's when I started with Mattel. And I went straight to the fun side, as I call it, the client side. And I got to play with girls' toys and Barbie in particular. And, oh my gosh, we'd get so excited every time a new prototype came along. So we'd see a new doll. And it was just like being a little kid on Christmas morning all over again. That sounds like fun. It was a lot of fun. You know, they would bring us... 20 dolls that were going into testing and we could almost put them into like best middling and worst just based on our visceral little girl reactions to them. Yeah, (laughs) it was a thrill. So I did that and then went on to Taco Bell from there. So I did about eight years at each of those brands and Taco Bell was a really cool, exciting brand with, you know, fun advertising and really interesting research studies that we got to do. So I was very lucky that, you know, when I decided I wanted to go into research and I decided I wanted to be on the client side, that I ended up with really two fun brands with fun products. You know, I would probably love doing market research on almost anything, but the fact that the products and the brands themselves were so fun was just a bonus for me. What's interesting, there are two very different categories as well. Mm -hmm. Very different categories. They have similarities. Obviously, you've got you know, some, you've got your core users. Like if you talk to people who eat fast food, most of them can talk to you about Taco Bell. If you talk to moms with girls, most of them can talk to you about Mattel and Barbie. And they're also frequent purchasers. Okay. So they're not something that you buy once and then don't think about again for a few years. They're top of mind all the time. So there was some similarities to take over, but obviously a lot of very, you know, big differences as well. Then I did my own thing. I was a consultant for a while, and then I went to the research supplier side, but now at Roku, I'm kind of back in my happy place on the client side, and almost exactly my one-year anniversary right now, so. Congratulations. That's amazing. First of all, I'll say, 
not many people in our industry make a conscious decision to say, let me go into market research. So that's great that you kind of did, you know, you researched it, no pun intended, but the things that you love, and then you made a conscious decision to come into the industry, which is great. A lot of people, especially a lot of young people in the industry, you know, they toggle between supplier versus client. Can you shed some light in terms of, you know, what are your key points of differentiation? And, you know, your happy place seems to be the client. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, central to both of them is hopefully a love of research in and of itself, What I see is some of the differences are, okay, let's say you're client side. You get to go, first of all, really deep into your industry, your brand. I think one of the things I love is that every time I do another project, I'm adding another piece to the same puzzle as opposed to completing, you know, 10 different puzzles at one time and you've got a couple in each. Everything I do builds on itself. So even in the last year at Roku, things I was doing a year ago, there are things I learned there that I'm applying to what I'm suggesting now as I'm meeting with my internal clients and talking about what do we know, what do we need to know in a particular area, you're kind of always adding to that knowledge base over time. So everything comes together into one big picture. You know what happened before. You know the action that's resulting from your research. You are part of all those conversations. That's important to me. If that doesn't matter to you and you love to touch all different industries and all different businesses but only see a little glimpse of each, and probably do a bigger breadth of types of research, then you'd probably be very happy on the client side. You know, if you love those kind of always creating new relationships versus I love building the internal relationships that I have with my team members on the brand and just deepening those. So they're both research, but there's different aspects of it. And it really, I think it depends on the personality, what suits you. When I was at IBM on the research side, definitely you build on that repository of knowledge. And so you know, you almost become an expert, whether you leave that category or not. To your point, you have a wealth of information from every study that you do with it for that brand or for that client. How do you define how research is being used within the organizations that you've been part of? It might be different for each one. So you could focus on Roku, wherever you feel comfortable. But, you know, what role does research really play within the organization? Roku, as you can imagine, is an engineering company at its heart. This is, all the products are designed by engineers and they're designed for the consumer, but then you really have to go out and make sure that they are what the consumer is looking for and that your messaging is what's going to bring out consumer appeal and they're going to see all the most important parts of the product and of the messaging and all that sort of thing. It is historically engineering driven. So we are in a unique position where over the last few years, we've been able to elevate the impact and the visibility of research because doing market research and consumer insights and all that was not historically what grew this company. So now we have to be very proactive in what we suggest that we do and not just wait for people to ask for things because it's not in their nature or their habit yet to ask for them. So if we go out and say, hey, we can do this to help you really understand what are the most important features of this new product, then they love it and then they want it for all the products. So we drive that. That's a big part of it in terms of, you know, making sure that we have the impact. We have to be proactive in that. And I think when I was at Taco Bell too, we kind of had a very straightforward system when I joined of what research we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And people would come to me and say, 
hey, I need focus groups. And I was like, hey, maybe you do and maybe you don't. What's your question? And so, you know, there's a little bit of that kind of, I don't want to call it training because it's not. These are very brilliant, smart people I work with. But just kind of getting them into thinking the way, you know, take a step back. What do you want to find out from the people? Then let me help you tell you how to do it so that they, I think in either case, you're just making sure people build a reliance on you, not just for job security, but just so that you know that what you're doing is the most impactful, you know, helpful research program you can design. Because if I do my job well, they do their jobs better. That makes perfect sense. And I think you're right. Like, I think a lot of times, you know, internal stakeholders come in with a solution of saying, I need to do, you know, IDIs or, or a focus group really quickly to gut test something. And it's nice to have a partner in the process that says, step back, let's just understand exactly, you know, what are you trying to test? What's your hypothesis? And then come up with the appropriate research solution. Exactly. Exactly. If I can answer all their questions as opposed to just one, or I can do it faster, or I can do it more thoroughly, or whatever the situation might be, you know, or maybe there's a new cool methodology somebody's touting. They wouldn't have heard about it because they're not in research, but we've heard about it and we think they're the perfect application to try out something new. We're going to suggest that. So, you know, it keeps us from just being like, just executing order takers. This notion of democratizing insights is something that's very hot and important, just layered in with this concept of time and speed to execution. Mm -hmm. And how do you get those findings out to your internal stakeholders as quickly as possible? What are some of the creative solutions that you guys have come up with, or you personally have come up with during your career to try to address that need? You know, if something's really urgent and it can't wait for, let's say, the optimal kind of presentation that I want to do, which I'll talk about in a second, then I have no problem doing a couple of different things. I have some partners that I work with that are my internal Roku clients who are very comfortable looking at tabs. And I have literally sat there and screen shared and had working sessions with them to give them what they need to at least run on day one. And then we can put off a final report. If they would have to wait two weeks for a presentation, but they can spend an hour with me in Excel and playing around on Sawtooth software and they're happy, then I'm happy. Okay. You know, they don't need maybe the write-up. They don't need all the, you know... Beautiful graphics and everything. Yeah. Right. They need data so they can at least go off and say, okay, let me tell my engineering team what they should be doing, then bring me the big picture. Right. I've done that. I have done quick one-pager, almost infographic style things to say, you know, here's your highlights. You can at least print this out, refer to it while I'm developing a report. I trust people internally to take it with a grain of salt. Not that anything's going to change, but just understand this is part of it. And this is the most important things you need to know, but come back in two weeks or one week or whatever it's going to be when I'm actually going to do the full presentation to make sure you take in the full story. Right. And people really act really well to that because sometimes, you know, it's not their fault that a deadline has moved up or somebody has asked for a decision earlier. But then when we do share out the final results, we always get this key people in a room or these days in a virtual Zoom room Mm -hmm. to all go through it together. So I'll bring my PowerPoint up and it's a presentation, but it's a discussion too, because I don't think a presentation has any point if people can't ask questions, talk, think out loud. If you, you know, your tabs are next to you on the desk where you can look up that last minute thing that people might want to know. So I don't just send out a report and hope people read it. We talk it through. And I think they get more out of it. I understand how people are using it. I make an even better presentation next time as a result. So I think that process of discussing and talking and going through things together is so elementary elemental. One of those words. Yeah, critical. Okay, (laughs) critical. 
Thank you. I love it. To making sure that your research has the biggest impact it can have. I think that makes sense. I mean, it's interesting how I think people consume data so differently and to be able to talk it through, get different points of view on the table or the virtual table. And to your point, understand where each person's perspective is coming from is highly valuable, not just for that study, but for future studies as well. Exactly. Every time you should be learning something that helps you next time to do something, you know, a little differently or a little better to change something. I'm not here to be a machine and do the same thing over and over and over for the next five years. Now, do you keep a historical library of past projects and kind of comb through past results to be able to answer questions that might come up? We do. And the person I work for, she is so good at that. That is one of her skill sets. She's been at the company almost six years now Okay, at Roku. So she will say, oh, I know that it was four years ago, but we did something. And so even though things have changed, you can go on you know, online and look up this study from this month and this date and you'll find information. And I'm like, how do you remember that? <laughs> I, if she, she can never leave because she is my history on the brand and what we've done. But yes, absolutely. If there's something we can build on or maybe even sometimes it's a comparison. You know, I was showing somebody this month the incidence levels of ownership of some different tech products. And they said, well, that seems a little high. But then we looked back and said, well, the last time we measured it was in February before the pandemic. So actually this seems... The fact that some of these have grown, you know, three, four or 5% makes perfect sense. So it was nice to have been there long enough or been here long enough that I could look back and say, oh, remember that study we did eight months ago? Let's use that as a comparison and let's see how things have changed and we can make sense of that change. So I'm starting to get that historical knowledge. And yes, we absolutely have a repository for everything. Not everyone in the company will be able to sort through it and find things, but we can do it for them. That's great. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation, we are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. So at Roku, you're in a unique position where you have access directly to a lot of actual consumer behavior and insights through the platform. And that must be very different from your past roles and having that access. Yes, it is so different, Seema. So think about when I was at Mattel, people bought our products from a retailer and I didn't know who any of those individuals were. Right. There was no kind of CRM. Then I was at Taco Bell and we controlled the purchase experience and they purchased directly from us and I still didn't know who they were. I just knew how they profiled, but I didn't, none of them was identifiable. Now I've got 40 million plus accounts that I can look for specifically if we want to just have an analyst go through that and tell us, you know, what's the profile of the people who use this button on the remote? Are they heavier streamers, lighter streamers? Do they have five devices, one device? Are they new to Roku? Have they been with us for five years? We can do all of that kind of analysis, which I love for you know, kind of a starting point, you know, who owns what and how long have they been with us and how valuable are they to us and how often do they do subscription services or whatever it might be that other behavior they have. I love having a access to them so that I can survey exactly the people I want to and be a little bit of behavioral information to go with my survey data. 
Now, Kit, you have access to what content they viewed or categories they viewed, how long they viewed it, day part. You have all that rich data internally accessible to you? We have some of those pieces, and I have not accessed all of those. But for instance, let's say I wanted to find out about our voice control, because some people have a remote that has a voice button on it. I could just survey people who have touched the voice button in the past month, for instance, because that's sending a signal in. If they have decided that they're going to do a free trial of a premium subscription, I'm going to know who those people are if I wanted to ask them about premium subscriptions. So any kind of behavior that the platform is tracking, I can use if I want to target who I talk to in a survey. Or if I want to just profile those people, I can use their existing data. Now, have you hit any obstacles with having access to that data? I can't think of any, but I'm just asking the question. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, not really. The only obstacle is from a point of view of trying to bring on new suppliers. I have great suppliers I've been working with for a long time, going back to Mattel and Taco Bell. I think they're absolutely world-class, and I would love to bring them on, but it's a long process when you're talking about PII and protecting that information. And what are your opinions about traditional survey research versus what we call big data, right? Where you can study online, you can talk to, you can understand consumer behavior. Are you seeing, because you have more behavioral data accessible to you, you're doing less traditional online survey research? No, we're not doing less survey research. And I'll give you an example. If I want to dig into you know, the big data, let's call it, you know, I shouldn't have a the before it. It's like calling it the Google. But anyway, big data. (laughs) I can't probe. I can't follow up. I can't ask more questions depending on what I see. So it tells me, I guess, more of what is or what was, but I need survey data to do the what if, the questions that can't be answered by the data or the follow-up questions. I saw that you do this versus this other group does this other behavior. And then having follow-up questions that probe them on why that is. I mean, why is, you know, to me, one of the biggest questions I answer is the why. I love open-ended data. It can be a beast to go through, but it's so worthwhile because it often illuminates things I didn't think to ask or didn't know to ask or wouldn't have expected to be a response from people. So without that, I feel like I've got surface understanding, but I can't go deep until I start doing my own work. Yeah. And to your point, when you started out saying it's a puzzle, that open-ended data is so rich. Sometimes when you don't presuppose what the answers are and you just look at unaided data to see what responses are. Yeah. Let's say I'm doing a question that has to do with people who just bought one of our new products and we're asking if they've encountered any issues with it. And I have a whole list of issues that we know that they could have come up with. Sometimes it's by looking at the raw data on a daily basis and looking at the people who checked other and specified that we find out something we didn't even know about. Yeah. And then we can start tracking that and solving for that. Because anything we start to see, like we just had our product launches, right? Two weeks ago. So we had our new product launches of our new Ultra Player and our new Stream Bar, which is Soundbar and Player in one, which is a really cool little product. And we always ask people their experience and how happy they are at the product, but we ask them if they have encountered any issues. And we look at that data daily. 
They look at the data, they solve the problems. The engineers are sitting there like in a war room situation. Maybe it's virtual right now, I don't know. But they are not just saying, hmm, this is nice data, but how do we fix this problem? How do we fix that problem? How do we address this? How do we get back to that person? And they are like throwing themselves 24 hours a day into responding to this data that we collect. What are some new methodologies that you're excited about? You know, there's a couple different things. I mean, I one of the first things we started looking at was we love focus groups at Roku. We love our focus groups. Everybody at every level has learned to love them and people travel for them. And we're all in the back room and there's 20 of us back there discussing what's going on. And right. we all of a sudden found ourselves needing to substitute for that. And so, well, I have done online focus groups and online qualitative myself, even as a moderator, we'd never had the team considering that. And all of a sudden they were willing to pivot and look at online bulletin boards and look at yeah, one-on-one webcam interviews, virtual focus groups where people are on Zoom and then we're sending them to a place where they answer poll questions and they come back on Zoom and talk about their answers. So all the things people probably might not have been willing to try because the system wasn't broken, all of a sudden when it broke on its own, they were willing to try things and they're really enjoying it. If I'm watching virtual focus groups, I set up a Slack channel where everyone can talk so that it's off the Zoom. And we were talking to people recently, not just about Roku and competitive brands and entertainment, but also just kind of how are you these days? Like, let's just start by talking about how are things in your house and what have been the personal impacts for you? And the Slack channel was lighting up with people talking about saying, well, these people really want to talk. They're so happy to talk to someone. And I'm looking at the Slack channel responses and saying, I think you guys are kind of happy to be talking too, because (laughs) you know, 500 (laughs) entries on a channel every time I turned my back. So You know, everybody's kind of craving that, but at the same time, we're being very flexible on how we get things done. You know, yes, we can get your answers and yes, we will learn what you need to learn. Let's be flexible about how we do it. And I think the next thing I'm interested in exploring is how you go back to a modified version of in-person when the time comes. It might look very different from the old way, but... I want to be ready for it when the world is ready for it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I think that's happening with so much of digital acceleration. It's forced companies to do things that typically they wouldn't have done or wouldn't have done it at the same rate and pace. And then thinking through like, okay, when things hopefully settle down and you know, we can travel a bit more. Like, what does that hybrid model look like? I don't think you just turn off what you've just done, but you somehow integrate it with, you know, what we used to do versus what you did, what we're doing now through COVID-19. I totally agree. I think it'll be a best of both worlds. I don't think we have to run back like, you know, the way we used to do things, we have the way that we do them now. I don't think that a lot of behaviors are going to go straight back to the way they used to be. We're going to take what we like about now and meld it into what we liked about then and reinvent a little bit. And I think, you know, ultimately people are so adaptable. I used to say animals were adaptable and people weren't. I take it back now because I've seen the whole world forced to be adaptable. And you know what? The majority of people are rising to the occasion and with a good attitude, not, you know, being dragged along. Resistant. Right. I don't feel like we're dragging people along grumbling. It's like, okay, this is the way it is. What do we do now? And how do we make it work? And how do we make it excellent? And people are just making it happen. During this time period of COVID-19, I mean, we're still in it, but how has research been impacted? Have you seen, I mean, outside of, you know, adjusting to a different methodology, you know, has anything radically changed? Is, are the number of inquiries more or less? Are you know, certain types of research kind of said, okay, 
you know, maybe I don't need to do a tracker right now. Can you give us your perspective on any shifts that you've seen from traditional research? Yeah, absolutely. I would say our volume as a whole has increased in terms of the number of just the sheer number of projects that we're being asked to do or that we're suggesting we do, but the content of them has shifted a bit. So we had some things that were ongoing studies where, you know, I'm not going to go into specifically what they were, but, you know, certain user groups that you might talk to four times a year or something. We stopped doing some of those because they didn't have the same business impact and the same just kind of, aha, we can run with this kind of potential as some other things did. Those used to be really important to us. Four times a year means you're constantly working on something, right? You've got one in field and then you're already planning the next one and then you're analyzing that one while the next one's in field. Those went away because they just didn't answer as many of today's business questions. What what does my team need to know today and next week in order to just continue to excel? So I think a lot more strategic projects have come up. It's the state of the world and the way people are shopping now has led to new projects we might not have done otherwise so that we can understand a little bit more, you know, relevance about whether online shopping or, you know, the, like everyone's grandparent now knows how to, what a BOPIS, that's the one I was thinking of, right. They didn't know what it was six months ago, but they didn't have a Zoom call six months ago either. So, you know, we've kind of adjusted our content and the exact things we're doing based on new learning that our team needs. But as a whole, there's more research than there was in February. It's exciting. It's nice to know that research plays such a vital role in understanding right? What consumers are thinking and also future direction. Oh, it's super validating because we believe in it. But when other people are like, yes, we can't wait for your results. Yeah, (laughs) it feels good. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I can tell your passion for research, which is amazing. and, And I just love it. It's contagious. Well, you know what? This is how I see it. If I'm still passionate about it all these years later, then I'm probably in the right job. (laughs) That's true. And you're having fun, which is just as important. It is important. And it was actually really fun to talk to you about it. I appreciate it. Thank you. As I told you, this is my first time doing this. And now it's been an absolute blast. Thanks to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. Exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.